0: Happy Thursday, everybody. I'm Jade Scott. This is Growth RX, And today we are joined by Sam Souk. How are you from Melbourne, Lilydale, Victoria, amidst the lockdown? How are you going?
1: Yeah, really well, Jade. Thanks for having me on the podcast. And hello to everyone out there inside the space who's watching us live. And uh, for those watching later, uh, welcome to you as well.
0: Thank you for joining us. You are the first guest from our finalist series from the Allied Health Awards. Congratulations on your finalist nomination for 2021.
1: Thank you very much, Jay. Yeah, it's uh, pretty exciting to be part of the uh, part of the group and looking forward to next month to see um, who, uh, who the lucky recipients are.
0: Yeah, under the category of um, just looking to make sure that we are live into the group, which we are. And I think we're... My
1: screen says we are.
0: Yep. And I'm having a few issues with what is happening. Hmm. Hello, everybody. Oh, there we go. Everyone can still see us. The joys of going live, hey? Um, So in an effort to introduce you, I've been researching your background. Obviously, there is good reason why you are nominated in the category of Physiotherapist of the Year. Not only have you got your own business and a successful physiotherapist in your own right and clinic owner, but you've done a lot of postgraduate study and research, particularly in what we're talking about today The mind-body connection which i can't wait to hear a lot more about but in particular how allied health professionals and practitioners words can actually have an impact on a person's pain and performance and you also uh, do some teaching and mentoring through some of the universities through monash melbourne university latrobe university and swinburne so lots of teaching and mentoring up your sleeve but what i really want to hear about today which stood out the most uh, is probably two things firstly your experience as a clown i'm going to let you explain it but i love the concept (laughs) of patch adams and you're the modern day physiotherapist patch adams am i right in asking that
1: Uh, you could say that i wouldn't claim it myself have you seen the movie patch adams yeah Yeah. okay so some of you out there may have seen the movie patch adams i definitely recommend you check out the the robin williams starring movie um named after patch who is a real person Uh, this year I believe he will be turning 76 years old Uh, he's a um, quite a character he's a very tall man approximately six foot three and has half a head of blue hair and another half of red uh, of of gray hair uh, quite long too and uh, he is an American chap who believes that um, laughter is is a true medicine and after he finished his medical studies uh, he decided that instead of giving out scripts and surgeries he wanted to make people laugh and he found that the best way of uh, improving the well-being of other people was was through play and through humor and so he started traveling around the world um, at first to Russia taking a group of international um, volunteers uh, who all dressed up as clowns uh, over to uh, Russia back when it was the Soviet Union and when United States and Russia weren't the best of friends and perhaps they're still not uh, because he believed that that was a way of um, bridging borders and bringing the world closer together and uh, we now um, see that the November clowns go to Russia every November Uh, sadly it didn't happen last year and probably will happen in a modified uh, form if it does happen this year and we've Visit schools and orphanages and hospitals, and uh, yeah, just bring a bit of bit of colour and a bit of light. And uh, yeah, I was privileged to to join Patch and the team twice um, in 2016 and 2018, I believe it was. And uh, yeah, I have a miniature bike that I ride around. Um, it's a, smaller than my knee, uh, a ukulele, and um, a propeller hat. Um, wow, so, yeah, and you literally um,
0: dress up like a clown?
1: Yeah, red noses are compulsory. Yeah,
0: wow. And
1: uh, yeah, we, we, we don't just clown in those locations. We're, we're in full clown costume the whole time we're in Russia. So that means every meal we have, every time we walk down the streets, uh, yeah, every moment we are um, yeah, looking to, to brighten people's day. And um, I do believe that we have just as much of an impact on, on those walking down the street to work as we do on those who are in the hospital wards.
0: Absolutely. And it's just such a, it's such a nice uplifting story amongst everything mm. that everyone's going through at the moment is just the, the mm. importance of laughter and medicine and, and trying to mm. stay positive amongst all this uncertainty. Mm. And the second thing that I really liked finding out about you is you're a lifeguard and and even associated with the, the helicopter rescue so not just like a beach I mean you're you know in the thick of it jumping out of helicopters is that right? Uh,
1: technically we have to step out of the helicopter otherwise the, the chopper shakes too much um, but yes uh, I served for six summers with the Westpac Lifesaver Rescue Helicopter Service and uh, yeah it, uh, it was a great opportunity to, to volunteer with other um, dedicated lifesavers and Got to see a lot of the Victorian coastline, which was um, beautiful and, um, you know, try to prevent things from ever getting to the point of needing to step out of the helicopter and uh, be proactive like we try to in healthcare. Uh, We want to stop things from becoming an issue so that we don't have people in pain or people in in danger. So,
0: um, yeah,
1: it was a good thing and, and nice to be part of the Australian tradition.
0: Yeah, and look, this is why I love so much being part of the Allied Health Awards and being able to have conversations and meeting people like yourself and showcasing what you're doing beyond just the consultation room. You know, there's so much that we can deliver as an Allied Health professional, and I, you know, it certainly is incredible recognition for what you're doing and, and being one of the finalists this year. So good luck come September. Thank you. Um, So the reason I guess why we're all here is also to showcase some of your work with your minor thesis and some of the stuff that I guess is a little bit new with the language and the impact that we can have through verbal communication and even body language and those sorts of things so. I am going to hand over to you and let you do your thing and talk a little bit more about mind-body unconnection and I think you've got some slides and everything available for us and I'll just be busy as I always do writing down some questions and I will join you towards the end to sort of brainstorm a little bit more about this stuff and and hopefully um, give some of our viewers some different ways to con uh, to connect with you and find out more about your work afterwards so I'll hand over to you.
1: Thank you, Jade. And just as I'm setting up the, the screen share, I'll invite all of you please uh submit your questions to Jade through the uh the various channels that you've got available to Uh Zoom does tell me that the screen is sharing now. Is that correct, Jade? The screen is sharing. Cool. So um that'll show up uh, exercise thought physiotherapy, which um does uh aim to blend in a philosophy of, of physiotherapy the mind and the body because we don't believe that mind and body are connected uh, at exercise thought we we believe that you cannot connect things unless you disconnect them Uh, and we don't believe that the mind and body were ever disconnected to begin with it's all about looking after a person and that person is an integration of um, not various parts but um, various layers uh, that we can uh, address in our therapies Uh, so we encourage people to exercise thought we encourage them to think Um, which is why we focus so much on education here at Exercise Thought, not just for our clients, but also for our our students who are future physiotherapists, uh, but also for our um, our, team, our practitioners and our concierge staff. We want to really put a lot of deliberate thought into providing a a holistic and and really um, intentional uh, therapy. So um, that's a bit about uh, our philosophy and and how we like to go about things. And um, we'll, we'll move into expectancy intervention which is the technical name for the effect that words can have on pain and the effect that words can have on performance. Uh, Expectancy intervention is something that you will find in the literature. Uh, And I believe it's the best phrase to describe what we're talking about. Um, Other phrases that are similar but not quite the same are um, positive or negative therapeutic suggestion. Uh, Looks like we're we're back to -to face-to-face. Fantastic. Thank you. Jade, and I'll go to the app. Here we go. Um, uh, So, yes, therapeutic suggestion uh, is another phrase out there, but sometimes a suggestion is not therapeutic. Sometimes we tell someone, oh, you're going to have this for the rest of your life, or be careful. Don't bend your back or don't lift those things because it's going to stir you up. Um, So we can provide suggestions as allied health professionals that are damaging and uh, are are fear-inducing and anxiety-producing. And we have to be responsible for our words, just as we are responsible for the actions of our hands. And uh, you mentioned it's a new idea. I'd actually I'd question that because um, the the Bible, which was written over two thousand years ago, talks about a wise tongue is able to heal, and a foolish tongue will cut like a sword. Um, that's translated from Hebrew, so it might not be exactly that. And uh, still, nonetheless, I think the point is that. If we um, are mindful of our words, we can, we can help people uh, through conversation. And um, I think that it's a, an unrecognised or at least an underappreciated part of what we do. And um, there are some studies, actually. We, we produced a, um, a meta-analysis with some students from Monash this year looking at the effect of expectancy intervention on pain. And they focused on non-surgical pain. And they found that there was an effect, uh, a statistically significant effect. And um, actually, now that we've come to think of it, there might actually be a way, Jade. Is there a way, Jade, that we could share that poster with your Growth RX community uh, yeah, or, or post it in some way? Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. We'll
0: be able to add it to the group, definitely.
1: Fantastic. Yeah, Georgia and Stefan, that my uh, well, nice did a great job on that. And uh, the previous year's a group of students produced a meta analysis on the effect of expectancy intervention on movement on physical movement and performance and found that we can improve people's running times and uh, the quality of their movement with the words that we say and, and i think it might be useful jade to, to share some examples of, of the expectations that we create or shape through our conversation with with our patients or, or clients uh, any ideas that have come to, to your mind as, as i've just been talking
0: I think is it is it more where your own internal bias comes from and your ability to motivate based upon what you believe the outcomes should be over where they are in their journey? Is that right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So as an example, I had a very interesting um, a case just before this podcast of a 19-year-old girl who has a, a twitch in her neck. Uh, she's got an extremely tonic sternocleidomastoid muscle down the right side of her neck and uh, this twitch has existed for uh, eight months and it's aggravated by stress and it's also aggravated by thinking about her twitch and you can see it in the conversation as soon as we talk about her her sport and her work and her pursuits there's no twitch at all but as soon as she starts talking about the twitch it it happens up to up to 10 oscillations at a time And, and in her experience it can be up to two minutes at a time and it disrupts her uh, her focus it disrupts her work, her university studies. And um, when we set the goal of not reducing the twitch, but we set the goal of having a restful head and neck or, and a relaxed head and neck, she can begin to visualise and focus on the outcome that she desires, which is a restful head and neck, instead of having no twitch, because the focus of no twitch brings about the image of a twitch and actually aggravates symptoms in the same way as someone with back pain or neck pain would be better served I believe by having the goal of a confident comfortable supple spine instead of reducing pain
0: yeah I mean it I mean it makes so much sense when you sort of put it like that but I I guess unless you're actively thinking about the effect of your words you Mm -hmm sometimes formulate would you say bad habits as a practitioner just through language alone and i mean a lot of this is the psychology we don't learn this psychology at uni i don't think any professions do i think in fact even with the biopsychosocial patterns that we deal with every day it's something that is happening more and more at university i mean you you talk on this level what what is happening at university level at the moment in those sorts of spaces Are is there more Psychology of a psychology component in the curriculum these days amongst physiotherapists?
1: Yes, I've been very impressed with the students that have been coming through recently. Uh, we've had um, a, a large chunk of students from Swinburne um, University who, you know, they have whole subjects on, on knowing self and, and, and that uh, self-awareness process, which I believe is a, is a really great insight into such a personal profession as, as um, you know, the other health professions are. Um, but, yeah, certainly the, the other universities, um, Latrobe, Monash, Melbourne, they, they are uh, heavily emphasising the biopsychosocial model um, and, and are very aware that uh, these psychological factors and, uh, and social factors can influence our, our patients' uh, state and, and recovery. I do think that there is an inclination with the biopsychosocial model towards etiology, towards um, the things that cause the current state of being. Um, Looking back at the past, all right, childhood trauma, um, car accidents, stress at work, all these things that have happened before this present moment, creating the conditions or creating the the situation for this to occur uh, within this individual, which I think it's got its pros and it's got its, its cons. The alternative uh, is is the teleological approach we we focus on goals and and we say that the person has not come in to see Jade uh, for an osteopathy treatment because because they're feeling pain and because they've had stress at work and because they had a car accident. They're not seeing Jade because of those past events. They're actually seeing Jade because they believe that Jade is going to enable them to live the life that they want to live, to be comfortable to be happy to participate in these social games such as work and, uh, and home life. Uh, it's actually the future that is motivating the current moment. moments, the, the, the goals that stimulate the person's behavior. So I think we could do better as health professionals at adopting more of a teleological approach using the biopsychosocial framework to understand the different layers of the person and then also focusing on the desired outcome on the, on the future on the forward, instead of looking back at things that we you know, have no control over and, and may feel helpless because of that.
0: And I guess that's where that expectancy comes from, but making sure that this sort of stuff is addressed very, very early on with a mm. practitioner. So how does this mm. tie? I mean this is it's it's so at the forefront at the moment, this practitioner, directed versus patient centered care. I mean, I, Mm -hmm. to be honest, I can't believe we're having conversations about this. I, I just assume as a practitioner who's been in practice for 20 years, it's, it's the, the lesser of two evils. You just adapt your personality to the person in front of you. And based Mm -hmm. upon psychometrics Mm -hmm. that we know some people need different behaviors. They need different drive. They have different internal drivers. Some people love direction and actually seek and crave structured systematized process whereas other people want to be really a part of the journey so to speak and be in control of that decision making process it's about adaptability isn't it not one or the other isn't it isn't it both at the best of times
1: absolutely it's about adaptability and and it's definitely about seeing the person in front of you it's something i learned from from patch uh he he's always said it's far more important to understand the kind of person with the disease, than to understand the kind of disease with the person, and and that's exactly what you're talking about: is seeing the individual in front of you and being able to uh, to present ourselves as clinicians, present ourselves in a way that is therapeutic. That means that we we talk or we uh, posture or we. Um, uh, act in a way that is calming and uh, improving for that individual or maybe they need encouragement maybe they need, maybe they need discipline i had a, mm-hmm. had a client earlier this week met him for the first time and uh, yeah. and he said sam i can be a lazy bastard and I, I want you to have permission to tell me when i'm being um <laughs> when i'm being lazy um excuse my uh curse language but uh, so i think you're exactly right i think we've got to be adaptable to the individual in front of us and 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 i've, I've made that I've made the mistake before of um, when I first started exploring expectancy interventions, I, I went to one extreme where I, I believe that the word pain itself would be associated with all things negative. Mm. Um, you know, it pains me to tell you this, Jade. Oh, gee, you're a pain. Oh, that's a pain in the neck. Like, I, can't, I couldn't think of one example of how we use this word in a positive light. And so I actually... Um, I refused to say the word for some time um, because I, I was of the belief that the word would actually be detrimental to someone's recovery. Mm. And um, and it, that wasn't a good idea because uh, saying the word pain for, for some patients is an acknowledgement of the suffering that they're experiencing. And we need to acknowledge that suffering in order for them to feel, for some people. Uh, to feel confident that we actually understand the the concern with which they they're presenting and if we don't have their confidence that we're taking their problem seriously then the, the, the therapy's lost so yeah um, I think it's important to uh yeah uh, you know, to be able to sit with them in the in the dark times but then also to be able to walk with them towards a better better future
0: I, I couldn't agree more I think sometimes Validation is the key to trust because it makes people mm-hmm. feel listened to and makes people mm-hmm. feel heard. I've, you know, I always look back on one of my favorite older uh, patients of sort of that Greek ethnic descent, and he was just mm-hmm. hilarious. And he would come in every week and he'd say to me, "I'm your worst patient today, aren't I? Aren't I know I'm your worst. Am I the worst person? Is my back the worst back you've ever seen?" I'd be like, "Tell
1: me it's the yes, worst."
0: Yes, it is, Stefano. Like it is. It is. It is. Really yeah. Right. Yeah a random name of um, but he just wanted to know that he was the worst and it just validated him yeah. and then he sort of calmed down he's like my wife doesn't believe me yeah. why might you believe me you believe me so that yeah. you know the validation for so many people is just so important as i said mm. you know they feel heard and it's a great step mm. towards building trust and connections which ultimately mm-hmm. relationship management is what we do it's one of the services we provide
1: yeah absolutely i agree wholeheartedly
0: um, but I love, yeah, that concept, any- as you said, With when it comes to pain and seeing it negatively and putting mm. that spin on it, as you do a lot with um, positive psychology, you turn mm. something traumatic into a post-traumatic growth. So yes. taking that next step and, and making sure that you can reflect on it, as you were saying, self-awareness mm. is so important. It's the one of the keys mm-hmm. to emotional intelligence. Is actually taking that for what it is, accepting it, and then working out how you can grow and evolve from mm. it. So I, I love this concept. I love it.
1: Yeah, you're exactly right. You know, how can we actually transform, uh, you know, like an alchemist, transform this uh, you know, lesser experience into something greater? Um, mm. yeah, there, there is a great book that I'd encourage people to read, uh, even if you could just find a summary of it. It's worthwhile. Um, the courage to be disliked uh the the title of the book is actually deceiving it's, it's not about um you know, courageously having people dislike you so much as it uh is about um other, other very important ideas and, and they actually talk about trauma in this book and uh it's a conversation between a, a guru and a, and a young man and the uh the guru is um telling the young man that trauma does not exist and uh, the young man is saying, "Well, that's 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 impossible. You know, I've been traumatized. Many people are traumatized. But of course, it exists." And the guru asks, "Well, if Jade and Sam walk across the same road at the same time, and a car narrowly misses both of them, and Jade walks away grateful for her life and thankful for the opportunity that she has to live another day, and Sam walks away shuddering and shivering and nervously rocking himself back and forward in the corner." Sam's traumatized, but Jade is uh, revitalized. It it wasn't the walking across the road that was traumatic; it was Sam's response. Um, So it's a conscientious, uh, conscientious, it's a controversial thing to uh, propose that trauma doesn't exist, but it it is um, not the circumstance. It's the yeah.
0: It's one of my favourite studies where you know everyone talks about the fact that we learn so much from failure. And there's a a study that I was looking at that actually indicated that failure alone teaches us nothing. It's only those Mm -hmm. who fail and try again that we learn. So, yes, you need Mm -hmm. to fail in the first place, but if you just fail and leave it at that, you've actually learned Mm -hmm. nothing. So I think it's, it's really important how our past experiences form who we are and also the biases that we find ourselves in the way that we look at things when it comes to pain and pain association just how our parents experience pain as a child growing up you know whether we have gone through that post-traumatic growth so which I think ties into that anti-fragility stuff that you that you
1: said yeah, nice there,
0: Jade. Well done. I've only I've only jumped into your next slide because when you share your slide, we miss your face, and of course, we want to see you. Uh-huh, so I'm gonna uh-huh. suggest maybe not sharing your slide and then sure. you talking us through that concept.
1: Sure thing. Yeah, and, and just uh, one one last note uh, on uh, expectancy intervention before we talk about energy fragility, because often practitioners will ask. What's an example of an expectancy intervention and and how can we use these in common practice? And so I'll share a few examples from from the research. The uh, predictions about therapeutic effect. And the second is the the conduct of an assessment and the ways that we conduct assessments in, in creating expectations. So the predictions of therapeutic response um, could be the research studies where they, um, they have someone recovering in, in hospital after surgery and they have them hooked up to an IV and they say, all right, Jade, I'm going to pop this medication into your IV now and it's going to reduce your pain. And uh, yeah, in some cases, they had uh, an opioid-based uh, analgesia um, introduced into the IV And they found that with the suggestion that uh, this is gonna reduce your pain, a saline infusion was just as effective as an opioid infusion that didn't have a suggestion. So we can actually activate opioid-based endogenous pathways with the expectations that we create that have a similar effect to an opioid-based analgesia. Um, They did a study in China, which we might not get ethics for in in other countries where they actually said the phrase, this will make you worse and um, you will feel more, actually no, I, I, I speak out of turn. They did that same study in Italy as well. Um, this will make your pain worse. And uh, again, they introduced saline and uh, it did indeed make people's pain worse. Um, so we, sometimes we predict, oh, this massage is going to help you. This massage is going to hurt you. Um, we probably wouldn't say that, but we might say, "You know, don't sit for too long, because if you sit for too long, you'll be in pain. Maybe we should say, well, if you stand up regularly, then you feel more comfortable. Um, We can use the carrot or the stick, I guess.
0: And and I'm probably going down a whole different rabbit hole here. But knowing Mm. the science behind this and the power of placebo and Mm. language expectation, is this Mm -hmm, something mm -hmm. that some practitioners probably already draw on? But is it unethical or if (laughs) if you are going to improve somebody's mm. life by drawing yep. on some of this, is this something yes. that we maybe could be using more of but don't?
1: Unethical. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting question. So because it, there's a sense of manipulation about it, isn't there? It, I guess uh, as I were a sense you know,
0: behind it, isn't it, I suppose.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And that's where you know these research studies have to be conducted in a way that people have um, you know have signed up to, to being a part of it. Yeah. Um, it takes a special kind of person to sign up for that kind of study I reckon and uh, look, I, it depends Like one of the other studies was um, women recovering post cesarean section and this was actually done in South Australia and they, they asked two, two sets of questions, the first set of questions was um, we're interested in understanding how much pain you have after this surgical trauma, can you please rate your pain from 0 to 10 and then the second group they said, we're interested to understand how you're recovering. Could you please rate your comfort levels from zero to 10? So the word recovery instead of trauma and comfort levels instead of pain levels. And so it comes down to what we focus on, um, the ethics of it. I think the definition of placebo is, is something that we heal, like an intention to heal. And so if someone says, oh, I believe that, waving crystals over my head reduces my risk of contracting COVID as, as perhaps some people in Byron Bay, Byron Bay believe at the moment with the, the crystal sales, uh, crystals being stripped from the shelves in the supermarkets with their recent lockdown. Wow. Um, this is
0: valuable if, as toilet paper, huh?
1: Well, <laughs> this is valuable as toilet paper. Yeah, if someone firmly has the belief that crystals do reduce their risk of contracting COVID, then we don't know what effect that that strong belief has. And maybe by robbing someone of their placebo we might actually be doing a disservice so i think we've got to choose carefully before we intervene and say well no you shouldn't use crystals to prevent covid because yeah. yeah i'm not saying we should be advocating for it but i just think sometimes if someone's on a good good run with something that they believe is helping them
0: yeah
1: we might actually do more harm by shattering that belief
0: I guess it comes down to the intention to deceive. If your intentions Mm. are good and in the patient's best interest and you are genuinely helping them on that journey and there's a Mm. significant improvement from doing so, then I guess maybe you could reflect differently. Uh, I'll I'll never forget I had a patient who was uh, under the care of an oncologist who was suffering quite badly. She'd been deemed palliative with her cancer And her condition was deteriorating and somebody had told her that by drinking carrot juice all day, every day for every meal, she would get better. And miraculously two things happened. The first Mm -hmm. was she did get better. Not in regards to the cancer, but her energy levels, her ability to Mm -hmm. interact and perform activities of daily living all improved, Mm -hmm. but she turned orange she literally got carotosis and turned Mm. orange, which was equally unhealthy. Mm. But in Mm. her mind, if she hadn't turned orange, I mean, her life changed because her mindset changed. So the Mm. placebo towards that, you know, genuinely was placebo. I don't think there was any science behind drinking carrot Mm. juice for breakfast, lunch and dinner. But Mm. her mindset, her energy and her ability to engage in life certainly improved just because their mindset did. So the power of words, I guess, and and our, I, my question to you then is knowing this, this is why you're so passionate about teaching it. Surely as practitioners, knowing yes. the power behind this, we've got a duty of care to understand mm-hmm. the effects of this. We, we all should in private practice and, and in mm-hmm. healthcare and in mm-hmm. life, really.
1: Yeah, and this is not... Uh, look, there are some examples in history where, you know, one utterance has changed a person's whole life. And, you know, I think it's it's possible for that to happen in the present day. You know, you meet people who... The classic is, you know, I saw a surgeon 10 years ago and my surgeon told me I'll need a new hip replacement. Um, or, yeah, you know, I, I spoke to the doctor and the doctor said I've got bone on bone and um, that the only solution is is a knee replacement, like... If you if you give someone that strong expectation, some people some people are able to recall thirty years later one sentence that the surgeon said to them, and it's probably not just surgeons, but I think because they, they have a gravitas about them, a, a, a tremendous credibility by virtue of their their training and their title, um, it seems to be more memorable than uh, yeah, my physio or my osteo said to me thirty years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I haven't heard that said as often. Um, so, yes, I think we need to be mindful of what we say and what we do. Um, it can be paralyzing if we think too much about it as well. So if we um, you know, stay relaxed in the way that we speak, I think that's equally important as, as choosing the right words um, because that does signal in a nonverbal way that, uh, you know, if we're not stressed and worried about their condition, you know, if we're calm and, and calmly confident that they're going to improve, then that's going to signal in a way uh, an expectation that um, they'll get better
0: yeah and it does come back to I mean if there's no secret that I love emotional intelligence and the science Mm -hmm. behind emotions and neurology and when you are explaining things to people you can either light up the neocortex with the ration and the reason and the problem solving you can be one of those practitioners or I'm such an emotive practitioner I I Mm -hmm. tie into the emotional event and and the outcomes and that lights up a whole different part of the brain that lights up the limbic part of the brain which is attached to our memory center which is why i guess words if they ignite a certain emotion in somebody whether it be anger fear anxiety happiness as soon as in that part of our brain we remember it it goes into our memory bank and we as a practitioner become memorable what we say is and what we say and what we do is memorable because it triggers a certain emotion. So would you say that a lot of this language does tie back mm. into that?
1: Yeah. I, I haven't thought so much about emotion. I mean, one of the studies did measure the amount of worry that people felt after a positive and negative suggestion. Um, I, I, I certainly agree with you on that. On, um, on the surface that uh, emotion would, uh, you know, be deeply related to a memory. And, um, you know, there is that saying that people will forget what you say and forget what you do, but they'll always remember how they make, how you make them feel. Um, so I, yes, I, I can only imagine that that's true. I, I'm just not uh, capable to speak on that from a research perspective because I've, um, I've, I've not come across any studies that look that, at the just words my, on That's
0: my excitement level of drawing everyone mm. back to emotions. <laughs> but that,
1: that is that. our job, though, isn't it? It's to help people feel better, yeah. Yeah. is feeling what's a feeling, isn't it? it? It is an emotion. It's not strictly uh, uh, nuts and bolts physical change that we're seeking, Yeah. even though we call ourselves physical therapists.
0: Yeah.
1: Mm. Mm. Anti-fragility? Let's, let's yes. go into that what do you What do you know about it? What have you heard about it
0: i look all, all I know is when I announced this session into the group, i hadn't really heard of the concept of any fragility in fact not not at all. Maybe I should be reading a lot more and i'm missing I'm missing a lot of research <laughs> papers. but I know that one of the the guys in my team was really excited about this concept and sent me like a clap emoji in that he was really Ah. excited to hear more about it. So, I mean, I'm sitting here bracing myself like a lot of the rest of the audience because for me it is something new. I'm sure that it's not a new concept, but I'm, yeah, I'm excited to hear more about antifragility.
1: The the concept uh, or at least the, the phrase has to be attributed to Nicholas Nassim Taleb. Uh, one of my favourite authors. I definitely recommend that you guys look up Nicholas Taleb. He's actually, um, uh, he was in finance um, for the first part of his career and then he became um, you know, quite a prolific author, I believe. Um, and what he was searching for when he came across, or when he actually created the phrase anti-fragility or anti-fragile, he was seeking an antonym for the word fragile. Um, so if, we, if you'd had a guess, Jade, what would you say the opposite of fragile is?
0: Strong, resilient?
1: Yeah, okay. So resilient is the most common one, um, or strong. So if, um, if something is fragile, let's say this this glass here. Let's say I wanted to send this glass over to you in down. Uh, so I popped it in a box and gave it to the courier, and the courier took the box and then took it to you. We might want to put a fragile sticker on the side of that box so that he knew not to shake the shake the box and drop the box because fragile thing when stressed would break, like the glass. Glass is fragile. A resilient thing. Let's say it was. Uh, not super resilient but you know, more resilient would be the case of these airpods um if you drop them they don't break they, you know, they are resilient but that's not exactly the opposite of fragile opposite of, so fragile is under stress it breaks the opposite of that is not under stress it stays the same being resilient or being robust staying the same under stress or under chaos or under uncertainty is not the opposite of anti not, not the opposite of fragile. The opposite of fragile is something that gets better because of the stress, something that improves from uncertainty and and benefits from chaos. And we we know this. That, post-traumatic
0: that makes- growth. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Post-traumatic growth. So if you lift weights in the gym you sustain microscopic tears in your muscles and then two days later after you've slept enough the muscles become stronger the muscles are anti-fragile same thing with our bones when we put stress through the bones they increase bone density human beings are anti-fragile and you've demonstrated it nicely with post-traumatic growth so the anti-fragile concept is a a state of mind or a um, a response wherein a thing or a person or a group of people or, a heck, maybe a whole species benefits from chaos, uncertainty and and stress. And I believe that um, if we look at this last 20 months or so uh, that we've we've had with um, COVID-19 still circulating around the world, um, there are different ways that we can respond to it. Um, we can either say, all right, you know, this physio clinic is, um, is going to suffer because of COVID-19, or it's actually going to become better because of COVID-19. And, and how would we behave with the belief and with the goal that this practice, exercise thought, improves because of COVID-19? And, and how is, would we as individuals seek to be anti-fragile in this current circumstance? Um so yeah, you know, I'm sure you, there's plenty of examples in your own life, Jade, because uh, you, know, you are a, an anti-fragile person. You know, growth RX, um, you know, your, your studies at Harvard, the, the, the fantastic um, uh, achievements of, of your, your work teams um, largely uh, you know, thanks to you, know, you sustaining an illness in an earlier part of your life and determining, you know, determining, determinedly. Saying that this is actually going to be something that not only do you conquer and, and move beyond, but something that you actually benefit from, and and that it gives you a a, a new and, and renewed outlook on life. And um, yeah, you know, look at you. I mean, <laughs> you've done a fantastic job out of that. And maybe if you, uh, you wouldn't wish it upon anyone, but if you didn't have cancer, maybe Growth RX and and the other things that you're you're enjoying doing wouldn't exist.
0: Look, and it's it's so refreshing to hear you say that Uh, thank you firstly for the compliments Uh, but secondly like you know when I was going through my recovery and rehab and I was told you know you'll never treat again one of the common terms that people kept throwing at me was oh you're so resilient you're so resilient Mm. through all this Mm. and it was became quite frustrating for me in the end because by definition, resilience, the old Latin term comes from resilire, which means to bounce back to your original form or state. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to bounce back. I didn't mm-hmm. want to go back to the person I was before I went through that because I learned so mm-hmm. much about myself and what I wanted for the future that that's where growth Rx came from, is what's my prescription mm-hmm. for growth. I don't want to be resilient. I don't want to pretend like it never happened, but I also don't want to be pessimistic but I don't want to be naively optimistic that everything's going to be okay resilience wasn't my solution and if I had known this word anti-fragile back then I think Mm -hmm. I would have really embraced it I do Mm. I do I guess resonate with that word a lot because you're certainly not fragile but also I didn't want to be seen as strong because I was happy to be vulnerable and fall apart and cry when I was going through it all so Anti-fragile, I mean, it's a, it's a great new term that I will thank you for introducing me to, but I think I will certainly embrace and I can understand why the powerful mindset of this anti-fragile as opposed to just be resilient and bounce back and you can get through this and you can be strong is is just that missing piece, I think, in a lot of patients' Puzzle, I guess, is that is that right in your? Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, you've got it, you got it, and, and you had it the whole time through that that uh, transformation that you uh, experienced, and, and perhaps you didn't have the word for it, but uh, the, the sentiment was there. And uh, yeah, I'm interested to hear now. You know, now that you're familiar with the the, the phrase, Jade, uh, in what way have have your team, um, your you know, team of osteopaths and, and, and the broader team of, of multi, multiple disciplines, in what way have they benefited, uh, improved, become better, grown through COVID nineteen?
0: Yeah, look, gosh, my I, I get emotional when I talk about my team because right now, you know, I, I am very transparent with them, and I tell them when I'm doing it hard, and I this responsibility fatigue that we carry around as clinic owners, this constant need to make changing decisions as the goalposts are moving is really hard and i think when i finally decided to translate that back to my team and say hey this is tough i'm struggling i'm just hanging on at the moment the ability to come together and show a united force and that gratitude is the word that i would probably want to say you know some of them, their shifts are being reduced at the moment because patients, particularly out near us, we're in a hot spot. Patients are just disappearing. Days are falling apart before their eyes. And, you know, I've, I've, I've asked and I've pleaded with a lot of them to take a bit of a hit and reduce their, their full-time hours down to part-time to get through this lockdown. And all of them, the common thread through it all is I'm just so grateful to be able to be working. I'm grateful to be able to be supporting our patients I'm grateful that I'm going to have a job at the end of this and we're going to come out better. So you're absolutely right. They do have this anti-fragile mindset, but I don't, I think it's very hard to do alone. Am I right in saying that? Is anti-fragile, the value comes from people around you. And I think that that's, for me, that's what I'm so impressed and I'm so proud of them because they're coming together. They're realising that I think they are a little bit stronger to get through this and to be antifragile when they're united and you know, I guess all in this together—is that ridiculous cliche that we're talking about? Because we are certainly not my poor friend, high school
1: musical. Are
0: not <laughs> going through this like we are, but that antifragile notion of um, not being alone as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, if, you, if you are getting into the books, Jade, another one you might like is *Humankind*, wherein the uh, the author proposes that the the reason that humanity became the you know, globe uh dominating species that we are today is not because we were smarter or stronger you know we don't have any particular um claws or teeth or um, you know great armor on us with soft now you know soft sacks of water mostly um, we are more kind to each other than other species is the theory uh, and and the theory is built upon um, a few things, but but one is that uh, Neanderthals were actually much stronger than us. They're all built like elite athletes, and and they're all actually quite smarter than us too. They they developed um, more sophisticated tools. Um, they were smarter hunters. Um, the the difference between the Neanderthals and us is that when one of us broke a bone and was unable to walk, that we would actually help that bone to be reset to mend and then to nurture that person until they got better. It was the discovery of healed bones after fractures had been sustained that um, you know, some people believe was the beginning of civilization and, and was the beginning of humanity and homo sapien um, beginning to to um, evolve or, or progress beyond that of other species such as the Neanderthal and, and and other such species so it's it's our kindness towards each other it's the trust towards each other which is highlighted during um, times of trial um, which may bring about the anti-fragile response and um, so perhaps we don't need each other to be anti-fragile because we know that biology does respond well to stress and it's only the random genetic mutations that enable us to actually evolve according to darwin Um, But certainly I think the the human race does benefit from the kindness and trust of others, and that does enable us to be more anti-fragile than if we didn't have each other. Mm.
0: So through evolution we've become more empathetic?
1: Oh, um, I'm not sure if evolution made us more empathetic or if there was a random mutation that created a, a group of empathetic things over here and a group of less empathetic things over here, and it just so happened that these ones did better. Um, but i I guess if you were not an empathetic leader if you were a tyrant people wouldn't want to work for you Mm. um they they wouldn't want to follow you they wouldn't respect you or trust you Mm. um you know the the best hunter is is not the one that can you know kill the animal and um take it home it's the one that shares it around afterwards Uh, the best boss is not the one who can bring in the the biggest number of clients or the, the largest number of dollars it's the person who can um yes okay you know create that momentum and that resource but then share it around generously and yeah you know, there's a few examples about um how you've done that as well with you know um you know, buy, you know buying uh, t- seats at the tables for events that get cancelled and, <laughs> and um other, you know, other unfortunate things but you know, great examples of how you've um, supported your team and, uh, and yeah. you know, been an empathetic leader.
0: Yeah, and I think just, just that, exactly what we're talking about, well, you know, the Allied Health Awards, which everyone's so excited about, normally a networking event. I mean, Serena's done yeah. such an incredible job. That's going to be pivoted online. Some of the benefits yeah. from that, we, we're still yet to see, but people understand that times are changing and just see the best for it. And, you know, it's a meme feed. It actually is more effort to do a normal live event than to go virtually. So people are finding that inner strength that they never had before. Well, I mean, your clinic in particular, I'd love to know from you, I mean, you're you're talking about this now personally, how are you better off for COVID? I mean, without being that yeah. seemingly positive person that's like, yay, yay. I mean, where where have you kind of had to yeah. knuckle down and... and and dig deep and look at look to the future mm. and go. You know what? This is going to be okay because it has to be. Yeah,
1: yeah, I, you're right. If if we become too rah rah, everything is awesome. Um, we we lose people's trust because they don't believe that we're actually understanding what they're going through, um, and it's also a bit tiring for um, for people as well. So, how do we have exercise thought benefited from from COVID? Um, there's a few examples. The first is the universities were, were reeling uh, about 15 months ago. Placements were being cancelled left, right, and center. Um, there were students at risk of not graduating, um, heaps of students at risk of not graduating. So these are people who have you know, dedicated four or more years to, to studying a particular profession with a view to then working in that profession and uh, you know then being told, you know, sorry, COVID place COVID's cancelling placements, you won't be able to graduate. So we then had to figure out, well, if, um, if telehealth is good enough for our patients and our clients, then maybe telehealth is good enough for student placement. And we had no idea if it was going to work or not, but we jumped in and we had five students the first time. Um, we had five students on Zoom on a laptop screen just over there. And uh, they, they sat in on every consult and we actually discovered some unexpected benefits of that approach. And the unexpected benefits are that the students can conduct research in real time during a consultation. So they can look up a journal article. They can research a different diagnosis. They can compare different diagnoses. They can understand which subjective and objective evidence supports and negates each potential diagnosis because there's a clinical reasoning framework that we gave them that enables them to actually understand which diagnosis is most likely based on the information presented during the consultation. So it's a, it's a diagnostic skill and a clinical reasoning that they normally wouldn't develop because they would sit in a corner or you know maybe touch a client during a consultation, but the opportunity to actually sit down and nut out well, why is this the diagnosis and why is this the best treatment plan? That's something that they would have to do at the end of the day, which is unlikely to happen because they're probably going to be tired by the time they get home at the end of the day or they've got work to go to. Yeah, so they're probably going to do less. So saving time because they don't have to leave home is an advantage they can do it from their own home Um, but having that real-time research is an advantage having the team of students is really advantageous as well there's a constant conversation through messenger or through zoom chat where the students exchange ideas and ask questions you know what are we doing this test for maybe we should do this treatment instead oh what research do we have to support that oh we've got the idea so they actually become a little community of learners and they teach so much um they teach each other so much as well as learn from the, um, the exposure to, to real cases and um, students are actually telling us that they prefer this model of placement um over the individual model and it's not perfect you know it's it's by far from perfect but it's got some advantages and you know another one of the advantages is that we can graduate more students that, that's pretty big. Um, we can um, we can meet more students, which is handy for recruiting. You know, or we were able to um, recruit you know our, our second physio through one of those placements. And um, the, you know, the other thing is, you know, if we're going in and out of lockdowns, doesn't mean we're cancelling and, and restarting placements. You know, we just keep rolling through. And when lockdown allows us to have a third person in this room, which is currently illegal. Um, we we can have a student in the room and we we rotate them so we have the students with face-to-face experience and with the, the, um, the team-based uh, zoom experience so you yeah, know that's uh, it's also more financially sustainable as well instead of having um, I think it's four dollars an hour for a student to be placed with uh, with us here um, you multiply that by three or four or five students at a time and it becomes a bit more viable mm. um, so that's one thing um, Another thing is, um, you know, people out there are, are struggling, and um, if you simply offer to help them during that time in any way that you can, um, it makes them feel good, makes them feel cared for, and, and I think that's a, um, that's a therapy in itself. But it's also an advantage because if, if people feel better, that's our job. And if we're doing our job then they'll recommend this to their family and their friends and, and their colleagues and whatnot and um we have um we have also seen that there's there's been a lot of um injuries owing to lockdown and, and we shouldn't celebrate the suffering of other people um, but but it has to be said nonetheless that um when people get injured we get work mm. so i think that um you know the sports, like community sport, starting and stopping, I mean, people are deconditioned and they're overloaded and they're deconditioned, overloaded. Yeah. So I think there's a, um, yeah, yeah, there's As something in that.
0: As you know. say, it's a different reward for service. I mean, most of the time we go to work, we go through the hustle and the grind and the groundhog day, no matter what job we're in, we always want that reward, which is spending time with loved ones or family or going on a holiday. I know that was for me, but I think now we've got this different type of reward, which is in that humanitarian service side of things where we still can contribute to the community and we can help, and that's where I feel so much for people who are missing out on that reward at the moment. There just seems to be no reward for effort through these relentless lockdowns, and so it's, it's really hard to stay positive, but I think for us as Allied Health Professionals, in a service-driven industry, we still have the ability to help. And I think that's what a lot of us are really grateful for at the moment. Mm -hmm. It's it's nice to hear about your journey and and how it's changing and all that sort of, Mm -hmm. I guess, vision for the future. But with that mind-body unconnection, now that we're drawing Mm -hmm. to a bit of a close... Is there anything that hasn't come up that you wanted to extend on or anything that you want to say to our audience before we leave you the takeaway messages that you want people to walk away with after today with a little bit more thought into this unbodied connection, the language and the words that we're using, what do you want to say as we draw a close?
1: I think we've covered, covered uh, you know, a wonderful range of topics. I, I I'd be encouraging people as a, as a final note because I've found myself do it recently. Um, it's all too easy to say uh, um, the pain's in their head or, or they're just worried or they're just anxious or um, they're just a tense person or um, to be dismissive. And, and I think sometimes we do it in those situations where we feel as though we don't have the ability to help someone. And instead of us feeling inadequate, or incapable of helping another person, we would just put them in the too hard basket. So I think we need to um, mind our, ourselves in in that we could be dismissive of someone who's going through a difficult or an unusual situation. And um, yeah, one, one, one example would probably be good to finish on actually. So about 20 months ago, The gentleman had his voice box removed um, by a surgical procedure to cut some cancer out. Um, He now speaks and and breathes through a hole in his throat. And he was discharged quite hastily from the hospital and and didn't have access to to, um, outpatient services through the hospital because they were concerned that he was immunocompromised and therefore a high COVID risk and they didn't want to expose him to COVID, which meant he didn't get the follow-up care he needed. I knew nothing about his condition and nothing about his lymphedema or you know the intense neck pain and the airway clearance issues that he was having aside from what i'd learned at uni about those things um so when his wife called up and said you know we need someone who's happy to see him we thought all right well, we're just going to have to learn so we hit the books and together with some students we learned a lot and um you know been able to help this man in, in numerous ways so yeah if the final encouragement is is anything i'd like it to be just don't put people in too hard basket um don't dismiss it as a mind thing or a body thing just see the person and and help them
0: yeah it's really nice so remove our biases don't make assumptions and Mm. you know realize that even if we're not present the person in front of us certainly is and they're listening to our Mm. words and our language so Mm. Thank you so much for sharing that. I have a new word and a new term, fragility, which I am going to embrace moving forward because I do love that concept. And I think it, there's a lot of people out there that will resonate with that terminology and will go back to that resource that you mentioned. And uh, I might even get you to add in the comments a couple of those books that you mentioned because there's some people out there right now in lockdown looking for some great resources to come back to. Yeah. So yep. how can people find out more about you? I mean, I know you're working at the universities and I know you've got your exercise thought practice over there in Lilydale, yeah. in Victoria, but if people want to connect with you, how, how do they yeah. find you?
1: Yeah, it's pretty easy. Um, exercise thought physiotherapy should pop up on Google if you type it in. Uh, if you search for Sam um you'll probably find me as well. Um heck yeah, you can give me a call. Um, my number is zero four one two five nine zero eight nine four. I don't mind. Um, just call me too much; I'll probably not answer. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, we'd love to love to chat, love to share those books, and um, please um, send through your questions and your thoughts and, and your jokes if you got them. Uh, yeah. would love to love to connect.
0: Amazing. So well, thank you so much for taking the time out. It's been a very thought-provoking hour for our audience back at home and another final good luck for the allied health awards coming up we can certainly see why you're a finalist and you are so open to sharing your knowledge and your passion and it's clearly evident in everything that you're doing not only for your business but for the community and for the wider physiotherapy community so thank you so much sam it's been an absolute pleasure
1: thank you very much jade and, and thanks for all that you continue to do for. Uh... Our health professions and, and our communities.
0: Thank you. Bye, Ron. See you next time. Yeah.